Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to a new Premiership season on The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I'm joined in the studio today by Alison Rudd and making his debut, Ralph Simons, and also from a remote location in Halifax, Ollie Kay. Coming up on the show, we'll be discussing the opening weekend of the Premiership, including Blackpool's incredible 4-0 win at Wigan. This from the club who were favorites to be relegated from the Championship just 12 months ago. And in our debate, we'll be getting down to all things Manchester City. With the type of signings they've made, are they now ready to step up to the next level? Or will this season be too soon for them? Join us for the next 35 or so minutes. Well, I think there's only one place to start this week, and that is uh, with the team sitting second in the table. Blackpool, 4-0 winners uh, against Wigan. Ollie, reactions? Uh, pretty staggered. Not, not, not staggered necessarily by the fact that Wigan were very poor, because I've been told that they weren't in very good shape, but staggered by, um, staggered by Blackpool, first of all, winning, but winning so emphatically, 4-0 away from home against what is a settled, proven Premier League team is, uh, I mean, it's just an amazing result. I mean, I, I think it, even Ian Holloway was talking the other day about, you know, we're not ready for this season. I, I don't think it was kidology or anything like that. I think he was he was just saying it as it as he thought it was, that, that, that he hadn't been able to strengthen the squad, that they were worse than when they came up. And um, lo and behold, they, they go to um, Wigan and, and win 4-0 and it looked like it probably could have been 5 or 6. Alison, was it a case of... Uh... Blackpool being really good or Wigan being atrocious? Because I saw some absurd defending from yeah, Wigan. No, well, it was both. It was both, but I don't know. It's I mean, let's not overanalyze it because it was the most beautiful, beautiful start to the season. Blackpool have been labelled the team least prepared for Premiership football since the Premiership was started. And that they was by have their own manager. That. And everybody else. And I was up in Blackpool last week, and nobody there. They, the, the fans were talking about going to Wigan as being scary, and they were going for the the day out and to enjoy themselves. And not a single person I could find thought they would actually get a draw, let alone win four nil. And this is a place. Blackpool is a club where, at the training ground, until recently, they had no cutlery, and the players were given spaghetti bolognese for lunch, and they had to drink the spaghetti bolognese out of a cup because there was no other means to eat it. And they have a chairman who does not believe in agents they have a manager who's gone from the extreme of being rent a joke to trying so hard to look like a serious manager he sounds like he's got some sort of illness and it is remarkable it's remarkable but but if you did watch Blackpool 
um, in their run to Wembley last season, and I only saw them from time to time. They they had uh, something that is almost um, you can't really define what it is, but they look like even if they're behind, they'll win. There's that something about them. They don't let um, they don't. That's the point. All this negativity that surrounded the team. Some some reason there's a force field around them, and then within themselves they have this this incredible optimism and. That's what struck me most about. I only saw the highlights of the match. What struck me about it was that their bounciness. I mean, they you know, they looked like the players themselves looked like this is fun. We can do it. Uh, well, uh, I I worked with Ian Holloway. You've known him for for a long time. Um, do you have any inkling? Do you see this bounciness, this uh, uh, this bounce back ability? I think somebody once uh, well, once called it. Uh, do you have any any insight? I think. Um Ian is a lot cleverer than, than perhaps uh, he lets his, his, his public m- image um, uh, be, be perceived as. He's, uh, he's very sharp. I, you can see what strategy he's going at with these, uh, these pre-season comments, talking down Blackpool as much as possible, talking down expectations. Um, he, in reality, he expects them to do a lot better than he's, he's actually saying. And he knows from last year that um, he's got a side that can score goals. And... Uh, I think a big thing about Blackpool is, is momentum. They finished the season in an incredible run of form. For whatever reason, they haven't been able to transform the squad. And I think they've, they've kept that run going um, uh, towards the start of this season. And um, they're building without, without circumstance meant they haven't been able to transform the team. So they're building with, with roughly the same nucleus. And it seems to be starting very well for them. But that will, oh. that will get you so far at the start of the season, won't it? it, it come Christmas, then you realise you need to have bought people. But you can keep... There's nothing wrong with keeping the momentum going initially, is there? I remember having a chat with Phil Brown two seasons ago where he was talking about the start that they'd made and he'd had exactly the same thing... Uh, I'm talking about Hull City, of course. Um, he'd had exactly the same thing um, back in 2000 when he was assistant manager at Bolton when they got promoted and they had a ludicrous win I think it was 5-0 or 5-1 away to Leicester City on their first day in the Premier League um, and he just says he, he said that you can often t- catch teams cold on that first day nobody's really prepared so if you're prepared to hit the ground running you've still got that momentum from last season you've got that belief and excitement and sort of enthusiasm that, that, that other teams perhaps don't have um, he, he, he was saying that you know basically it's a case of just capitalising on other teams not being prepared and he says that eventually over the course of a season you're inevitably going to that, that sort of confidence that you've carried through is inevitably going to be worn away by the odd negative experience whether it's um, half-time team talks on the pitch or, or whatever but he you know, it's a low blow. You, 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 you can you can see um you can see how that that would work that you, you come up with momentum you make a flying start that surprises everyone and perhaps it keeps you going for another couple of weeks but Eventually, over the course of the season, I mean, clearly, <laughs> I mean, I, I think um, I think I read a press release from a bookmaker saying that um, Blackpool's title odds had been slashed to two thousand to one or something like that, and I think the, the fact that they were slashed to two thousand to one probably uh, says that they're still uh, regarded as a team who you know will be caught up by gravity at some stage. But what a start! Unbelievable. Um, okay, when we, we, we talk about teams like Blackpool, because uh, let's admit, we're generally not that familiar with most of the players, 
um, you know, we tend not to single out individuals, and of course, we all know Charlie Adam and, and Brett Ormeron and <laughs> Marlon Harewood. Uh, but one guy who caught my eye, and I have to say, I, I, on, on Sunday morning, um, I was on I was on Twitter and saw George Calkin tweet a picture of Phil Brown's uh, uh, shirt that he was wearing on Goals on Sunday. So I immediately tuned in, and uh, I caught extended highlights of this game, which. So I could have seen in more compressed form the, the the night before, but I was struck by this by this Elliot Grandin, uh, um, this guy who looked almost Zidane like at times. And I and I, I'm wondering, you know, again, this guy's 23, 24 years old. He was at CSK Moscow last year, where he was basically a, a, a scrub. Um, I go back to this. You mentioned something before about agents. Uh, how did Holloway find this guy? I mean, because it just seems such an unlikely such an unlikely signing. Uh, how does Holloway operate if he doesn't like agents and his, and his boss doesn't like agents? I think from the, uh, from the QPR time when I, I knew uh, Ian, Ian quite well, um, he would use agents and it's an inevitable part of the game. Um, he, he wouldn't know. He wouldn't have the foreign contacts necessarily personally to, 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 uh, uh, to talk up this guy, to, to particularly bring him to his attention. So it would be through, through agents. And at, and at QPR, there was a, there was a very high turnover of players um, from uh, abroad as well as uh, from, the, from the Football League. But most of Holloway's signings would be homegrown players because that's the league he knows and uh, he would look lower down the league. But I would have thought a player like this could only have come through his agent contact. Well, I, I'm, I'm looking at Blackpool starting 11 and I ask myself, you know, who isn't thoroughly mediocre in, in this team, at least on paper? And I don't come up with uh, with very many guys at all. Uh, you know, Charlie Adam looked good last year. Uh, Ollie, from what you've seen, can he play in the Premier League? Charlie Adam, uh, I think, is the one that you know you would probably say um, looks most equipped to to, to make the the step up. Um, he's, I mean, uh, he's. You know, he, he was a great player for them last season, and, and, and in that run towards the end of the season, but, I mean, people like Taylor Fletcher and Almerod, I think, are sort of honest, honest pros. If that's not too, too patronising, but I, they've made an interesting um, signing from Man United. Uh, Craig Cathcart, central defender, he was um, he was sort of regarded as the next sort of bright young thing at United about three or four years ago, and he got an injury and he, he went away on loan somewhere, and he didn't end up playing regularly. And I think, um, you know. He didn't really develop as as United hoped he would do, but he's he's clearly got some of the materials to be a very good player. Let's talk about Wigan. Um, I actually thought, uh, you know, Roberto Martinez last year in his first year in the top flight, um, having to sell some important players, actually did quite well uh, to stay up. Uh, he he certainly spent money on, uh, on on a kid like Victor Moses, who may or may not turn out to be a player, but. I really don't like what he did in the summer. Um, I, I felt I'm not a big Antoline uh, Alcaraz guy. Uh, Bozelli is a gifted striker, but one with bad knees, who I certainly, the, the reason he's at Wigan now is because a lot of clubs looked at him and said, he's obviously very good, but he's not where he was before physically. Um, are Wigan going to be relegation threatened this year? Well, it's the first time in the game history that... How many players got marked? Two out of ten. One, two, three, four. Four players got... I mean, that is uh, that is unbelievable. So, if, on the other hand, we're going to just... You know, they're consistent, aren't they? Because last season, you never knew if the appalling Wigan were going to turn up or the ones who played fancy football with a bit of spirit were going to turn up. So, um, 
but I think everyone who was there is saying it's the worst they've seen a Premiership team play for a long time. I think they seem quite a moody team. Um, that the results last year when they got hammered by um, Tottenham and, and by Chelsea, you kind of felt once they were behind, they really didn't have the character and they almost gave up. And I think there was probably an element of that um, uh, on Saturday. And I think that's the big challenge for for, Mar- for Martinez. Has he has he got the ability as a manager um, to, to create that mental strength that they're going to need. Let's talk about a potential top four side and uh, and Arsenal. Uh, Liverpool and Arsenal, Sunday, all the hype, all the build-up. I was really excited to see Joe Cole in this, in this new role, um, and I only got to see him for, for less than a half. Let's start with the sending off. Ollie. Well, I think there was an awful lot of debate about it at half-time on the TV and you know in the, in the press box as well. But I th- to be honest, I, I don't see where there was room for debate. If you look at the rules these days, they're about you know you could be sent off for a for a challenge that potentially endangers uh, um, an opponent, even if you don't you know even if you don't catch the opponent, even if you don't catch the opponent, it doesn't matter about your intention, it doesn't matter about malice, it doesn't matter about what your character normally is perceived to be when you hear about people saying he's not that kind of player. If it's a dangerous tackle, which that one was, then you get sent off. There's an argument to say perhaps Jack Wilshire could have been sent off for, for the challenge on Mascherano. I, I thought that was a slightly uh, less dangerous tackle. Uh, still dangerous, and there is a debate there, but as for the sending off, I, I, think, it was, I think it was quite clear. Let's ask the qualified ref. <laughs> I could not disagree more. I, I I am staggered, absolutely staggered. For a start, I watched it on Sky Sports and everyone in the studio and the commentary team were going, well, you know, it's reckless, therefore, you know, as the rules stand, he has to go. Well, if you agree, it was reckless. And it was, mar- it was borderline even reckless. Reckless means a yellow card, doesn't mean a sending off. So that was all rubbish being spoken then uh, on match of the day two there wasn't even a debate they're all going absolutely dreadful you know the way the rules are they has to go Joe Cole tackled with his thigh that doesn't hurt anybody at all flabby thighs don't hurt it was from every angle I could see and the more I watched it the more the more uh, it was not it was not dangerous it, please please explain to me why being tackled by a thigh is dangerous it was slightly clumsy and slightly over exuberant and the chap was not hurt at all. I don't want him having an egg-shaped bruise on his shin. He came out and looked absolutely Excuse fine. Me. Sorry, Alison. I'm going to have to pull you up here because I'm a big fan of a certain former referee who we can't name because he works for another newspaper but who once gave out three yellow cards in a World Cup game. But you made the point. It doesn't matter if if, if Koscielny's hurt or not. What does that have to do with uh, with, with whether it's, well, it's, evidence, it's a yellow or red it's card? It's evidence that maybe it was, um, even though it didn't look it, that it was dangerous. It wasn't, was not dangerous. But because he doesn't get hurt, it's no, not dangerous. No, no, it's so if part, I juggle chain shots in front of your hat, in no, front of your head, and I don't the catch event, it, after the event, you want to weigh up every bit of evidence you've got to work out whether you felt it was dangerous or reckless or careless. They're the three types of tackles there are that are worthy of a free kick. All right, qualified referees out there, I'm really curious about this. Please email us at gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk because I want to know. Do you really have to consider whether somebody gets hurt or not in assessing whether a foul has been committed? No, I'm saying after the event when we're talking about what was it, obviously one look at it from the referee's point of view, that's fine. I'm not going to criticise the referee. He has one look at it and he has to make a decision. But having seen it, having seen it, 
from lots of different angles. It was not a dangerous tackle. Doesn't that say it all, though? That, I mean, Alison, as as a qualified referee, and, and you, you've qualified far more recently than than Graham Pole or Martin Atkinson, you know, <laughs> the, 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 there is the inconsistency of, of different referees looking at it and saying it is and it isn't. And you can look at the, mash, the, 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 the Jack Wilshire tackle, and some some would say that was a red card, some would say it isn't. And it, you know, there, there is that huge grey area. Um, it is a question of interpretation. I, I would interpret it as, as a red card challenge and. Others wouldn't. Roy Hodgson, so far from what we've seen against uh, uh, against the Robots in the Europa League and, uh, and 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 against Liverpool, the idea seems to be this: this four-two-three-one, Joe Cole with license to roam behind the lone striker and and two wingers, whether it's Count Jovanovic or or whatever. Um, and that also has implications because it means Steven Gerrard further back uh, alongside the holding midfielder. Now, even though Hartson denies it, we're all assuming Mascherano's uh, uh, going to be sold. Uh, my question is then, that leaves space for one other holding midfielder, whether it's Polson or Lucas or the forgotten man, double A, Aquilani. Um, is this a clever formation? What do we make of this? Gerrard deeper and Cole in the hole. Allison. Well, I don't like it. I don't. I don't think... I think Cole was completely bypassed in the first half. I mean, it's only one half at the Premier in the Premier League with Liverpool, but it was like, oh, okay, let's see what Joe Cole can do. Okay, I'll wait another ten minutes. He it didn't work for him at all, and I think Joe Cole is a bit of one of those enigmas. It's I think it's it's going to be very difficult for Roy Hodgson to find the perfect place for him to play in the team. And if you analyse the skills that Cole has, because he can't score goals, he's not a great finisher. He's not even a very terribly perceptive passer what he can do is he's got very good close control and he draws players in and I suspect that for a player like that you should be playing him uh, in a more uh, withdrawn central midfield role so ideally he would play behind um, a rampaging Gerrard allowing Gerrard to pick up loose balls and so on It, it didn't it's only 45 minutes but in those 45 minutes I did not I did not think it worked swap them around Ollie, uh, what would you do with Joko? What, what, what do you think of this uh, this Hodgson experiment? Well, uh, I don't think it's an experiment, really. I think that's that's the role that he was he was brought to play, and I think that was that was how they sold the the, the move to him that, that that you're going to be playing in this position, which is the position he's always um, he's always wanted to play in. Um, and I think if you look at it, and if you look at yesterday's game, although it was only 45 minutes, but also if you look at Joko's whole career, he's never really played that role. And so you, under, you you start to ask yourself, well, why hasn't he played that role? And to me, I mean, he, he does have you know, he does have an obvious talent. He, you know, he, he has great what you would call flair or trickery, or you know, he's great for, as Alison said, close control and little layoffs and so on, you know, in crowded areas. But he's not a very perceptive player. He's not a hugely intelligent, creative player in in that sense. So I. You know, people often look at Cole and say, "Oh, he's been wasted by English football." He, you know, what do we do with Joe Cole? We try to turn him into a winger because we're, you know, we're not we're not willing to trust people like that in the in the middle of the pitch. And I think Joe Cole. I mean, perhaps that's English football's failure that they haven't coached him to be better. You know, in terms of from his youth, not 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 so much the last few years, but he just doesn't seem to have developed into the kind of player that can play that role and. To me, um, I don't see that working particularly well 
in big games. I can see it working in in, in games where Liverpool had a have a lot of the ball and um, and he can find a lot of space. But I don't. He's terribly good at finding space. Uh, I, I would tend to agree with that and, uh, and and add to it the fact that it's a nice idea. And I agree, his natural skills had he been born in Brazil, he, he would have been playing that role. But because this Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. He was shoehorned uh, in England. It has affected him. I think he could still play that role. I just don't know that if he can he can play it at a big club because if you're Chelsea, you're not going to disassemble your side to find a spot for Joe Cole. It's just not worth it. But what I'm interested in, I want to hear from you, Raul, is what's the effect here on Steven Gerrard? Gerrard still Liverpool's most important player. We're asking him to go play uh, a different position, a position which... Rafa Benitez certainly seemed to think that wasn't ideally suited for him. I think Gerard throughout his career has constantly been a victim of his own versatility. That he can play all these different roles. So he's a player who is flexible from from the manager's perspective in their in, in terms of their options. So when it comes down to accommodating other players, he has been moved around. And um I think it's a very controversial thing to do. Um in this instance, particularly when you look at Joe Cole's uh, record um, in terms of fitness and in and, and terms of playing full 90 minutes. There's, there's a stat today in the game which says he's only actually played 90 minutes 32 times. That's because and he that, keeps getting substituted. I'm not talking about Steven Gerrard, enough Joe Cole. It's not his fault, <laughs> right? No, but He's my, freed of the evil Ancelotti and the evil Avram Grant and the evil Goose Hitting and the evil Scolari and the evil Mourinho who kept substituting him. It's not just substitution. Let's talk about Gerrard. Gerrard's more important than Joe Cole. No, why does my, nobody want to talk about Gerrard? Because the wider point is if you create a, if you create a system around, based around Joe Cole, um, you're going to impinge on Steven Gerrard. And I think given, as I said, given Cole's record in terms of fitness, if you create that system, you're not going to be able to play that system that often. 
because basically Joe Cole isn't going to be fit enough to do it. And therefore, I think it's is wrong to impinge on, on Gerard when he's your key player. You should be building the team around him. You talk about impinging on Gerard, but that is a position that Gerard wants to play. And I know he's he's had he's played extremely extremely well at times over the past few years, albeit not last season, in that more attacking role, but a bit behind Torres. But if you ask Stephen Gerrard where he wants to play week in week out, it's that central midfield role alongside a probably more dedicated holding player, um, and that's where you know that. That appears to be his future under Hodgson. I, I don't think he was necessarily played out of position by Benitez. I think that's a bit of a myth. But as he sees it, this is his favourite. This is his favourite position, and this is the this is the way he wants to play. So, I don't think Gerard will be too devastated at being uh, shunted out of position or anything like that. Uh, finally, bizarre equaliser uh, at the end. By the way, I felt neither one of these two teams played played really particularly well, and I think it doesn't bode well for those who imagine a more open Premier League this season. But. Um, Obviously, Reina spilled it. What was curious is just in in the run up to that, Glenn Johnson had the ball in the right back position, and he could have hoofed it up the pitch. Instead, he did something did something which he thought was very clever, which is tried to play the ball off an opponent. It didn't work out. From the ensuing throw in, the cross came in, um, which uh, which Reina, of course, uh, eventually spilled. Um, there's no concern about Pepe Reina, right? Is there? I mean, he he is one of the top two or three goalkeepers in the Premier League, if not the best, right? Ollie? Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's certainly one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League and probably on the evidence of last season, perhaps the best, um, But um, apart from the two at Manchester City, perhaps. But the um, yeah, if, if, if you look at that goal, I mean, pe- people will highlight the, the the way he sort of spilt the ball into the net. I, I thought the bigger crime, in one sense, was was not um, was was being beaten to the ball by Shamak, and I think that will probably be what he will be most disappointed with, because it was because of the first error, error that the second one happened. And you would you would imagine that someone like Reyna is is of a strong enough character to just brush it off. And I, I saw him um, walking out of Anfield looking a little bit. You know, a little bit unhappy, but uh, but not too um, not too devastated afterwards. And I, 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 I don't think, I don't think um, you know whatever Liverpool may or may not do um, this season. I don't think uh, Rain is going to be the biggest problem there. But Ollie, did you see him on the way to the club shop to buy a hat because it was the sun that made him make that error? Interesting point about the hat. Of course, Chris Kirkland, as far as I know, is the only Premier League uh, goalkeeper who regularly wears a hat. And of course, he had an absolute stinker uh, at the weekend. They hate, they hate wearing them, but it, there's a certain point at which August late afternoon sunshine will be right in your eyes and you have to wear one. Of course, because if a big looping ball comes in and you look up, it's like the hat will obviously protect you. Why not wear sunglasses, Alison? See, the only club that was actually spending money this summer uh, was Manchester City, courtesy of Sheikh Mansour. And um, Roberto Mancini went out there and he spent lots of it. Jerome Boateng, Yaya Toure, Super Mario Balotelli, probably James Milner as well, David Silva. Uh, list goes on and on. Alexander Kolarov, of course. Um, it, it's an interesting idea here because, you know, you're basically giving a blank check. You said... You know, they tell you, go and build a team. And first thought that comes to mind, Ollie, is that uh, when Mark Hughes was in that position, he tried to go for sort of, you know, more veteran players, proven players, players who played in the Premier League, uh, players who were maybe a little bit older. Um, instead, Mancini's gone out there, and I think every single player he's bought, except for uh, uh, Yaya Toure, is 24 or younger. 
he seems to be acting like a man who's trying to build long term and who thinks he'll be in a job in, in two or three years. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. And I think if you look at, um, as you say, if you, if you look at the signings this summer and last summer, I think, I think the profile is, is completely different. If you look at last summer, it was all, you know, Gareth Barry, Julian Lescott, um, Toure, Adebayor, Tevez, all players who were, who had played for big Premier League clubs and, and, and were, were accustomed to everything that the Premier League um, is about. You know, likewise with... Um, Bellamy and Parker, uh, sorry, Bellamy and Given, who who had signed um, the previous January, and so that that seems to be the philosophy under Hughes, and it seems to have changed quite dramatically um, to one of let you know let's sign the, the you know the, the young players with potential to improve. Uh, they're all imports really, although they're trying to get James Milner as well, uh, Balotelli, Kolarov, as you say, Silva, and I mean. You would think, really, it would be a case of um, a bit of, you know, a case of sort of balancing those two approaches. Instead, they've gone from from one extreme to the other, and it's almost like they're starting again. And I mean, there, there are similarities, really, with with what Chelsea would try to do in the, their second summer under Abramovich when they signed um, Czech and Robin and people like that. But it's um, the, the, the difference is that, Chelsea, that City aren't building on the same kind of foundations that, that, that Chelsea were. It's, it's still quite different, and um, it'll be very interesting to see how it works. Well, is there an issue of balance there? Because, I mean, a number of the guys who were more mid-career types uh, uh, that Hugh signed, of course, are are still there. I mean, Adebayor's still there, Tevez is still there, Barry's still there, and he's now rounding it out with, with younger players. You could make that case, couldn't you? Yeah, I think I, I think you certainly could. I think the, the, the so Ollie's issue, wrong. No, I think Ollie has a fair point, but I think the uh, the, the the real issue for Mancini is is going to be a finding his best eleven and b keeping his his, his squad happy. Um, he's going to have he has got all these players, whether they're up and coming, whether they're proven, they're going to want to be playing. And I think his biggest issue has, has been shown with with Bellamy in in the summer with Given and his unhappiness is how can all these egos, all these top top stars, be moulded together in a squad that that can actually uh, function. I, I'm not going to go and knock Given for having an ego. I, I completely understand if he's not the number one. I think he's right to leave. I don't think there's an issue of ego there because you only have one starting goalkeeper. Bellamy, perhaps a slightly different case, but um, as an as an approach, uh, is it the right approach, or has he, or is it just down to whether he signed the wrong players? I'm a bit cynical. I sort of feel young players, it's easier to have their heads turned by the riches on offer at a club like City. I think more mature, um, well-renowned, highly talented players will be thinking it's a bit of a risk to join City. I'm not going to take that risk. Wherever I am, doing well with my reputation, I'm more likely to win something or or get a better rating at the end of the season than I am going to City. It's if you're a top mature player, why would you go to City? Why would you go? Because the risk, the risks are too high. We don't know. We have no idea if he can blend all those different types of players from different cultures, different ages. There's too many of them on high salaries. It's it's a risk. It's a risk. So he has to sign young players whose heads can be turned. And obviously he's the sort of manager who feels he can mould younger players better and make them play to the system he wants. He's he's not got on with some of the players he's inherited from Hughes, so he's burned his fingers there. Although um, Bellamy um, just seems to get cross with anyone who's new, doesn't he? So it's not, it's not, it's not like I guess that'd be anti-Mancini. But um, 
I mean, you know, everyone's focused on 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 the goalkeeper situation at City because it, it it epitomizes it the the dilemma beautifully. You've got supposed to have it's supposed to be good, isn't it, to have two great players in every position? But it's 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 already a major headache for that club. Well, I, I'm not sure we can really blame Mancini for the goalkeeping situation when, in fact, he inherited both goalkeepers and both happened to be good. But um, I, I I wanted to, to to throw something else out there, which is. You know, it's interesting. You said, well, you know, you would have thought veteran players would, would, would want to play for bigger clubs and win things. I wonder about that because there's so little money right now in football, with the exception of Manchester City, that it's great to be a veteran player who wants to win things, but unless you play for Barcelona, Real Madrid, uh, United, Chelsea, maybe Bayern, maybe Inter Milan, you're not going to win anything this year, realistically. So at that point, why not? take the money and go to Manchester City. And and I think that's actually what what Mancini wanted to avoid is somebody who'd come and treat his club like a cash machine. Am I wrong, Ollie? Um, no, I, I think you're right. And I, I've, I've also got to say, I, I do expect City to win something this season. I know I know that that is, a, if you'd made that prediction every year for the last, um, whatever, whatever it is, 35 years now, 34 years, you'd have ended up looking rather silly. But, um, but uh, I, I think they'll win something, whether it's the Europa League, FA Cup, Carling Cup, whatever. I don't think they'll be... Um, I, well, I could see them being a decent team in the Premier League and, and, and better than last season. So, I, I mean, if, if people are saying he would be better off joining Liverpool, or, you know, that players would be better off joining Liverpool or Arsenal or, I don't know, Atletico Madrid or something, I, I don't think they're right. The one conundrum for me um, is, and you have to take my word on it because I haven't really seen it yet, but um, Mancini's body of work suggests that he actually is quite an attacking player who plays good football. But one of my big concerns is he does it by getting a lot, by working a lot tactically with the players, doing double sessions and so on. So the idea is that when they break or when they have the ball, everybody's moving in unison, you know where everybody is, and it's really attractive to watch actually when when he pulls it off but the problem is he hasn't had a chance to do that yet at City and with so many players I'm not sure he's going to get a chance I I normally don't have a problem with big squads but I cannot if Milner comes I cannot for the life of me figure out how on God's green earth he's going to accommodate all these guys on the side because I believe Premier League rules suggest you still can only play with 11 players I'm right right so How's he going to do it? How would your front six for City look, assuming they sign Milner? Well, I think um, you'd have Adebayor, um, you'd have Tevez. Then you get into difficulties <laughs> behind that. I mean, De Jong from the World Cup was was awesome, the form he showed there. Silva, we've got to wait and see. We've got to see how he adapts to, to the Premier League. Um Right, Phillips, you'd probably say no with the give the quality they got. Barry, yes, he he does that role very well. And then you'd probably want Milner. So I'd say that's how I'd go for it. <laughs> Sorry, Super Mario. <laughs> You're stuck on the bench. So, uh, everyone seems to be thinking that, um, or arguing that Gareth Barry's still a, a great player to have. I, th- I think he's gone off the boil massively. No? No one else seen that? Thought he was dreadful on Saturday. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, if you look at the World Cup, I mean, he, he was he was pretty dreadful there, but he wasn't fit. I don't think he sort of illuminated Manchester City last season by any means, but but he was okay. And I, I think I think it's 
I, I could see a situation where when they're playing only two central midfielders in there, it will be Toure and De Jong and, and maybe um, and maybe Milner and, and, and others f- further forward. But, I mean, yeah. I don't think he's a bad person for, for them to have in their squad. Certainly, I certainly think that if you if you offered him to Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, I think they would take him. Rotating your squad is kind of a difficult sell in this country. Um, with the exception of Sir Alex Ferguson, who's been doing it for a year, but nobody notices. Anytime somebody else does it, unless they go and they win 6 0, the way Chelsea did at the weekend, um, you're going to get people coming out and saying, You don't know what his best 11 is. You got to play every week, blah, 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 because that's the punditocracy we have. So why does Mancini make this difficult for himself? I would like to think that the punditocracy, as you as you call it, is um, a little bit more enlightened than that these days. Is it, is it not? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe here we are. But I, I, well, one point I would make as, as well about, about City is that I think a lot of it will depend on what role they find for Adebayor, because Adebayor is somebody who, if he's playing every week and he's happy and he's in the mood, would be a great player. But if you're saying to him, you are you going to play one game every three or are you going to be on the bench most weeks, I could see him being a disaster. He's not that kind of player who can turn it on when when asked to. He's the kind of player who's either in the mood or he isn't. And to me, he could be a problem if he's not playing regularly enough to build up his confidence and his enthusiasm. All right, well, let's wrap this up by getting everybody's view on where City are going to finish in the Premier League this season. One word answers, please, Alison. Fifth. Rao. Fifth. Ollie. Third. Gab. Third. All righty. <laughs> All right, y'all know what's up next, so let's get rolling. Manchester United have spent £7.4 million on Bebe, a winger who last season played in the Portuguese third division and who was available for nothing just six weeks ago. Ollie, you write about this in today's game. Care to elaborate? Well, I think you say it all. A winger who played in the Portuguese third division and was available for nothing six weeks ago. And, and to spend £7.4 million on him when you're sort of turning your nose up at every other um, price in the transfer market, saying that perhaps Ozil is too expensive, Kadira is too expensive at £11 million or, or whatever he was. I just think it, it's strange that United have this policy where they're taking gambles on completely, completely unproven players. And it's not a Ronaldo case or a Schmeichel case. It's completely, completely unproven players. The bell, of course, goes off when you go too long. Ollie. Gab, Chelsea welcomed back old boy Roberto Di Matteo in the West Brom and then promptly beat them 6-0. Was it a case of Carlo Ancelotti's crew picking up where they left off? Yeah, it looked that way, and I was there. And in fact, they, they absolutely shocked me because I thought, you know, Lampard had a bad World Cup, Terry had a bad World Cup. I thought he'd have to pick other morales up, Drogba coming off the injury, Maluda the nightmare, um, Anelka the even greater nightmare. And yet it was like uh, uh, nothing had ever, had ever changed. And on top of that, they have the absolute monster who's Michael Essien in midfield. Hat-trick for Drogba couldn't be a better start to the season. Alison. Spurs probably should have had all three points against City, but Brazilian midfielder Sandro's Harry Redknapp's, not Sandro's wife, only signing so far. Raul, if you were advising Harry, who would you tell him to buy? Striker, first of all. Keane is clearly not, not what the player he was. Pavlichenko, um, jury's still out. Um, he should go for a big-name striker um, if the money is there. Um, uh, one name, Diego Forlan, um, great World Cup. Um would suit Spurs perfectly, um, would get them a lot of goals. 
um, another one from left field. Um, but there's lots of strikers now at Manchester United. Uh, what about trying to get Berbatov back? Raul. When Roy Keane was in charge of Sunderland, he said he wouldn't sell Kenwin Jones for £50 million. Steve Bruce evidently felt differently, dropping him last year and then flogging him to Stoke for, for £8 million. Jones injured himself during Stoke's 2-1 loss to Wolves. Alison, how sorry do you feel for the big man? Well, if he's badly injured, I feel very sorry for him, obviously. But I think he's made the right move. I'm a big fan of Tony Pulis. Um, Kenwin Jones, I think he's quite clearly very, very talented and he just needs handling the right way. Um, by all accounts, their early, early relationship, the early days of their relationship was going very well. So um, it is a big loss to both sides. Thanks to my guests today, Alison Rudd making his debut, Ralph Simons, and from Halifax, Oliver Kay. And please, if you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Just email the show at gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. I'll be back next week, of course, with plenty more reaction to the new season and another full weekend of Premiership fixtures. Till then, toodaloo. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.